the Genie Podcast. I'm Grant Bruner, and with me today is Thomas McKenty. How are you, Thomas? I'm doing great. It's a nice uh, summer day. It's cooled off here in Chicago, and uh, so it's a great day. Of course, as always, we're here to talk about uh, some interesting tips and tricks and information about genealogy and then how you can go about being more efficient in your genealogy. So let's talk today about research log. How does one, well, let's give some information. What is a research log and how does one create and use a genealogy research log? Well, a research log is really important. And I think, uh, again, this is one of those things in previous podcasts, I've talked about certain attributes that designate someone going from beginner genealogist to intermediate, sort of a, a maturation uh, in terms of, you know, what they do and what they don't do. Uh, when I started out, I didn't use a research log. I would use post-it notes. I would use any bit of paper or write it here or there. And a research log really is a way for you to track your genealogy research findings, whether they're online or whether you go out in person to an archive or a library. So it's a system that you come up with. And again, like any other system, it's got to be something that works for you. Uh, I found that once I got started, I needed a way to track the information uh, and the evidence that I located, and then I could later take that and determine whether or not that data proved a certain relationship or a theory. Because as you know, Grant, we find many different types of information, very often conflicting. One record might have a one birth date, another record might have another birth date. So, and as beginners, very often we get caught up in the excitement of the find, and we go past other data that might be important. So we don't record our data journey is what I call it. And this is what a research log does. But it's more than just right. a diary. It's more than just a diary of that journey. Uh, the research log can be useful when you need to return back to certain data sources and perform more research or more evaluation. So, uh, you know, I've done that before where I want to go back and find something and I can't find it because it was on a post-it that got thrown out or it was an email that got deleted. So there are going to be people that are listening to this podcast and they're thinking to themselves, you know, I like genealogy and it's a fun hobby, but I'm really not that serious about it. It's just something I do in my spare time. Do I really need to go and actually use a research log? Yeah, I would say yes, but, you know, the research log, doesn't need to be as complicated uh, as you as you might think. So for serious researchers, the research log can have a lot of columns, a lot of tracking of various data points. For the beginner, all you need is a simple spreadsheet or a table listing basics such as date that the search was performed, the item that was found, where you found it, etc. Uh, it could be a piece of paper, it could be graph paper, could be accounting paper or even just a pad that you get at the store, even scratch paper. I've used uh, that in the past, where but some system that's consistent. So also a research log makes writing source citations a lot easier later on, and that's why, you know. So if you've ever heard of the kids concept grant, keep it simple, stupid. That can be applied towards the research log as well. Yeah, I mean, that makes that makes sense. What information should these people be tracking in their research log, though? Well, here are some of the basics. Uh, I usually start with a document number. I number my finds. Either I'll go one, two, three, or I come up with a system. Say that I'm researching the surname Austin. 
I will use Austin-1, Austin-2, so I can quickly identify, oh, this is something I did for the Austin surname. That's one column heading that I almost always have. Another one is the date, the date that the research was performed. And this is important because, especially with online research, remember that the availability of those items changes. Databases move, databases go away, links get broken. So it's really important for you to put that in context as to when you found that information. So the repository, where is the item located? If it's online, I enter names like Ancestry, Family Search, or it maybe if I pulled it from another family tree on Genie, I mark Genie as the re repository. If it's at a physical location, I put the name of the library, the archive. Next, this is an important one, the extract or the transcript of information. This is, I believe, Grant, it's the most important field on your uh, research log. This is where you enter the data that you've distilled down in, in an abstract. You know, if it's a birth certificate, you put down the birth date, the father, the mother, the birth location. Or if you've got something like a letter or a will or a deed, very often you want to transcribe it verbatim, and that would be a transcript. This is so important because what if you lose that copy of that record later on? At least you have the text in the research log. Now, another one that I like is analysis. This is also what I call my notes field. This is where I put my thoughts on the data. Very often I'll put my thoughts as to what I'm thinking as I've recorded the data when I found it and also later on when I evaluate it. I'll put in information like, well, this does prove so-and-so was born here or it doesn't prove, et cetera. And finally, my last column is always a link. If the data was located online, I like to have that link because it makes it easier for me to get back to that item rather than having to re you know, do a search again on Ancestry or on Genie. Now, I want to point out, Grant, that you can have as many fields as you want. There are some more advanced fields that I do personally use because I'm a professional. These have been pulled from a book, uh, a paper called Skill Building Guidelines for Evaluating Genealogical Resources by Linda Woodward Geiger over at the Board for Certification Genealogists website. They're at bcgcertification.org. This is some of the things that, again, this is uh, the maturity uh, model for a genealogist. I don't expect beginners to have to use these, but there's some like source type. Is the source the original or is it a derivative? You know, do you have a copy of the birth certificate or do you have a certified and with a stamp and a seal copy? Clarity. Is it clear? Is it marginal? Is it poor? Can you read it or not? The information. Is it primary or secondary? And we can get into this in another podcast, but primary information would be this. Someone who recorded it is reliable and witnessed the event, sort of like a uh, you know, an official a court clerk, uh, a notary public, or someone who was a witness at the wedding, etc. Or secondary is someone who supplied information about the event, but they weren't actually at the event. Uh, another column is evidence type. Is it direct evidence or indirect evidence? Direct evidence would mean that the fact is explicitly stated. Indirect means that you sort of have to infer or guess that this is the evidence based on other pieces of evidence. And then the result, this is one that I like a lot. Is it a positive result, meaning it supports my theory? 
is in a negative result, meaning it doesn't support the theory. And then sometimes I'll put in unknown, which means it has to be researched a bit more. Those are all very basic things that everybody really should be thinking about. And if you're not thinking about it, perhaps a research log is really what you need to be um, implementing in your genealogical research. So how does one go actually go about creating the research log itself? One of the simplest things is paper. And, it, you know, it can be a line pad. It could be a graph paper, a spreadsheet accounting paper, even I've used, as I said before, scratch paper. Uh, you know, printouts that I just sort of use the backside and staple them together. Uh, you can also use Office productivity software, such as Microsoft Office. Uh, Google Docs is a free program, and they have a word processing program, or better yet, their spreadsheet program. Uh, I have a little bit of a giveaway here, Grant. I have actually created a form on Google Forms under Google Docs that lets you fill in your research log. So uh, that is that uh, we have it in the uh, episode notes here. It's at uh, http colon forward slash forward slash bit dot ly forward slash research log. Now, the most important thing is, again, as I said, create a system, a research log system that works for you. That way you're committed to using it consistently. Yeah, and consistency is really the important part. I mean, you have to use it all the time, so whenever you're doing it, and when you actually enter the data, it needs to be consistent. So um, that really is what's um, the most important about actually using a research log. People that are starting to use research logs, and they're also Genie users, uh, how do they go about using the information that they put into the research logs and applying that to their Genie information. One thing I like about Genie and a lot, a lot of people I don't think they know about as much is you can add source citations to your data in your Genie family tree, and the research log is a great place to find that information. In fact, some researchers create a column on their log called source citation, and where they start to write the source citation based on everything that they found, and once you get one written, let's say that you found something in the Social Security Death Index, you just copy that source citation and customize it for that piece of evidence that you found. It gets easier and easier as uh, your research log grows. So once you've stored that in the research log, all I have to do is copy and paste it into the source box on Genie, which is that little notebook icon with the question mark next to a field on my Genie family tree. It's important to note, this is what we call metadata, where you actually have the, the data that you need, and that's, the, and that's the actual document that you're using as a source. But we want things like metadata, such as, um, you know, is this a marriage record? It, what, what date did this happen? Who's related to it? You can actually tag profiles, um, add in where you found the information. All that's very important because when you go and actually look at the document that you've used as a source, you want as much context of the content as possible. Right, exactly. So, Thomas, why don't you uh, tell us where people can go on the Internet to find out more about you and what you're doing? Well, I've got another great episode of Genie Bloggers Radio coming up this Friday, August 5th. Uh, we've got a show entitled Family Treasured Heirlooms in Genealogy, and I'm really excited, Grant, about this show. We have one guest, Joyce Shavar, from uh, justajoy.com, and she actually started sort of a registry for heirlooms and antiques related to genealogy, and she's going to explain that. Uh, one of my favorites, Sharon Sargent, who is a professional genealogist in Boston, is going to come on and talk about how you would research things like letters and postcards, 
Uh, she even once researched an 1848 stagecoach and had it related to genealogy. And finally, Melissa Corley, Missy Corley, uh, from Maryland, she had uh, an article written about her, which is amazing. She located an old photograph book and was able to reunite it with the descendants of that family. And uh, she's going to talk about the whole process of what she did. So that's uh, on Blog Talk Radio at Genia Bloggers Radio, uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash Genia Bloggers. And that's at 9 o'clock Central every Friday night. Thank you very much for your time, Thomas. So for the Genie Podcast, I'm Grant Brunner. Thanks for listening and have a good one.